Let's take a moment and pray. And for some reason, as I was thinking about starting our gather, our uh, praying right now, I don't know what tomorrow is like Martin Luther King Day, and this just idea of justice in our world, God's desire for justice is so strong and beautiful. We're not talking about it today, but as we start off in prayer, let's just remember His heartbeat for the oppressed, uh, for those who are marginalized, for those who are hurt. Can we do that, Father? We pause and um, we just we're reminded because of often the pain in our world. Um, the segregation in our world, the injustices in our world. We're reminded that your heart is for justice. Your heart is for peace. Your heart is for wholeness. And um, we thank you for the historical reminder of this. Lord, we pray in Christ's name um, that you just use us as a church to be your living and local presence, um, to be a blessing to our world in this regard. Now, as we open the scriptures and um, move into this morning's talk, we, just, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Would you speak to us as you see fit in our hearts and our lives? In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me in that. Well, right, we're hitting like a season on TV these days where there's a whole bunch of award ceremonies that start. Last week, the Globe and Globe Awards started. And uh, then there's other awards that, that kind of come out, you know, after that, the Oscars. And of course, there's big sporting events like the Super Bowl that's coming up. And I was thinking about this. There's all these great categories in these awards events, right? Like, like sometimes, especially those who go unnoticed, like the, the screenwriters or the set designers or those who do the costumes and kind of the, the, the clothing and all that stuff. There's really, really cool, cool categories. But there's one category that never seems to come up in any of these award ceremonies. And maybe it's because it has to do with certain industries or a certain sport. But have you ever seen an award for the best or or a life well-lived? Never seen that, eh? Like, people get Oscars for all kinds of things. People get awards for all kinds of things. Sports teams win trophies for obviously beating the other team. But we rarely celebrate a life well lived. Even life achievement awards in these award ceremonies are dedicated specifically to the art, obviously. And I just, it makes me think we really don't celebrate that in our culture. We celebrate other stuff. We don't celebrate that. It's rare that you will read on the cover of People or GQ or come on your Instagram feed like this kind of celebration of a life. Well lived, and the interesting thing is that although that's probably that's true in our culture, there's a hunger in all of us. There's a hunger that at some point we look back, whether it's at the end of a season or maybe even the end of a life, we look back one day and long for, hope for that we would have lived a life well lived, that we would have had real and honest relationships or healthy relationships, that we would have used our resources not merely for ourselves, but also for the good of others, that we would use our gifts and our talents and our abilities uh, for how God sees fit and how he wants to, to use us in his purposes in the world, that we would grow, I believe that's part of our heartbeat, that we would grow as thoughtful, um, uh, faithful, courageous people, that we would be people who listen to God and respond one of the, the, the core ideas of what it means to be a follower of Christ is that we'd listen to his voice and respond. And I think there's a hunger in all of us that as we look back, as we get to the end of a season or the end of a life, that that would be true of us. But here's what happens. Tons of stuff might come in the way, but one of the things that happens is we get distracted. Eugene Peterson talks about this in, in a way that he says, he says, we often become fans in a fan club. 
And because we have all these heroes out there or people we follow, we become fans in a fan club. But fan clubs, the people in fan clubs usually live secondary lives. They live through the lives of the people they follow. They, they, they envision their life and they, they imagine that they're living their life, but they're really living it through the people that they're celebrating or the people that they're following and not truly a life that God has created for them. So we started this series last week called Finish Line. And last week we looked at the Apostle Paul's life and how he spent, used his life and looked back and said, you know, I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I have, I fought the fight. And I want to move forward today, but I want to remind you of two phrases we said last week. We, one phrase was this, that, if, that it's not going to be enough to, to, to come to the end of a season or the end of a life and say, oh, I, I, I hope I can just kind of have like some, some good friendships, or I hope I could have done this, or I wish this would have happened. We said last week, we must do now what we can't do later. There are certain things that take time to develop or invest in. And we also said, thinking about that, we said we want to be people who keep an eye on the future, but with our hands and feet dug into the present. That was the Apostle Paul's uh, desire and heart. He knew there was a crown of righteousness coming, but he lived daily with his hands and feet in the present, living his life, serving God. And so I want to keep those things in mind as we move forward today. And we're going to look at an Old Testament prophet who I believe his life, his heart, and some of his words are going to help us grow or challenge us and what it means to, to, to become the kind of person that doesn't just wait till later, but allows God to shape us now. And it's the prophet Jeremiah. And he's an interesting figure. I mean, Jeremiah was a prophet in, in a part of Israel's history towards the time when, when, when Israel's kingdoms were actually coming to an end and towards the time of exile in Israel's life. So Israel was part of a portion of Israel. They were being sent to a place called Babylon and they would live now in exile. Here's Jeremiah, a prophet during this time period. Israel was a, a nation that got distracted, that often got detoured from the, the kind of people they were meant to be and the kind of lives they were meant to live. They often fell off track. And Jeremiah was the kind of prophet that wanted to call their attention to what God wanted to do in their lives. In fact, there was a king at the time, one of the kings during the time of Jeremiah's prophet times, he, he served for about you know 20 plus years, was King Josiah, a young king who he noticed what was needed to be done and he rediscovered God's word, particularly the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament brought it back to life in Israel's, in Israel's practices, but it wasn't enough. They weren't listening. They weren't responding. God wanted to shape their hearts. So here comes Jeremiah, this creative prophet. He didn't just stand on a stage like I'm standing. He didn't take a soapbox and preach to people. He did visual things. He did physical things. He was the, the show and tell type of prophet that got people's attention and, uh, and he wanted them to listen. And I want to just read a portion from Jeremiah chapter 18. Um, you can either follow along in your, in your Bible or, or look, look off the screen and let's just listen to this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So then I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? 
like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. And if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. We're just going to pause there. There's so much that we could try and focus on here. But I want to focus on the heart of what Jeremiah is trying to do here and his show-and-tell type of message. I mean, what could there possibly be at a potter's house that all of Israel needs to learn or grow from. Uh, you know, the, a potter was interesting in that time period. It was like, it was an artistic trade. And I think most trades involve creativity, uh, involve solutions, but maybe the idea of a potter is someone who shapes something. And the potters, you know, the potter's house would have been like a well-known place in the town. They would have likely gone down towards the water because a potter needed a supply of water. And it was maybe as well-known as the local depaneur or a gas station. They, people knew where the potter's house was, but like these kind of places in our neighborhoods, we often pass by them without even thinking about them. They're like second nature. Yeah, there's the kushtard, whatever. I don't need milk. Who cares? You don't even see it, right? And so often we'd probably, they'd probably pass by the potter's house too. Like, yeah, I got a supply of pots. That's cool. I don't, and they don't even think about it. But that day there's something going on and God wants them to see something, and, and yet, it's, it's amazing, I find, how so many times there's things like right in front of us and we can miss. And God wants to use this potter's house as a message. Here's Jeremiah trying to get Israel to listen to God's voice for a while. And God prompts him and says, hey, Jeremiah, take a walk to the potter's house. I'm going to show you something. Go down and see what I have for you. Maybe it would seem so ordinary that you might miss it, but there's something there. And there's a key for Israel, there's a key for Jeremiah, there's a key for us in this potter's house. I mean, pots, like no big deal. You see I have a couple here, and pots are really like, you probably have some in your house or your apartment, and, uh, or maybe in your camping kits when you go camping. Pots maybe don't seem like a big deal. We've got a few of them. But the other day, we were uh, in Toronto over Christmas for a few days, and one of my aunts, she's getting older, and she's moving into a home, and so... Uh, her brother, my uncle, said, hey, you know what? You guys can walk through the house and uh, whatever, whatever you want, everything's going to be going or sold or something. So whatever you want, just take it. So Frank and I walk through my aunt's house and, um, and we, find, like, we find these different things. This is, my wife said, make sure people know we haven't cleaned this yet because it looks dirty. But... So here's this, this, we have never owned a pot this size before. We've owned like pots, maybe this size to cook, you know, boil pasta for like five or six people, but this sucker can do like 15, right? And so, so Franca saw this, she's like, this is awesome. I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab this pot. And, and then we found this, like we make pizza at times at home, but on rectangular things, but this is round and you can make deep dish, dish pizzas with this thing. It's like, this is an awesome find. This is a great, it's not officially a pot, but you know what I mean? Like it holds stuff. It cooks stuff. There's something really cool about pots. My, my daughter, she uh, loves different containers. And so my wife brought this container home the other day. Can anybody guess what, what it does? Not really, but close. It, it's, it's just perfect for salads. 
So right in here, there's like you put your dressing, and then you slip it in here. In there, obviously, you put your salad in here, and your fork is right on the side. My daughter loves containers that she can kind of bring like better food to school with or something. And she's always like, Dad, this is awesome. Now I can bring salad from whatever, right? And so, so it, it's crazy. She had this one here. She loved it too because she's like, Dad, I can put my sandwich here and my leftovers here. And then, you know, like fork and knife are here. Anyways, all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's just the idea. We sometimes think it's just a pot. It's just a container. But if you think in the history of the world... When pots, the idea of pottery arrived, it changed civilization. You know, people used to walk to the water and kind of cup, cup some water and like drink or maybe pass it on to people. Or when they were cooking, maybe they had a thin flat stone that they were able to put on the fire and cook. But I mean, obviously things would fall off if it was liquidy. But now pottery happens. And you can take a whole bunch of water and bring it to your village Or you can cook something on the fire that's more significant, that has a little bit more to it, that's not just going to fall off. Pottery changed history. It's incredible. Because it's it's two things about pottery that's interesting. It's both functional and artistic. It's both functional and artistic. Natalia Colantonio, she's an artist, and uh, she was was given away some gifts at Christmas to her uh, her kid's school, and she took an ordinary brown paper bag and then just created this beautiful design on the front of it. It was functional, it's just a paper bag, but it was artistic. There's something about pots. They're useful and they're beautiful. They have capacity, but they're also birthed out of creativity. And Eugene Peterson says pots were functionally necessary and artistically elegant. Isn't that cool? Why would you, would you ever say that about a pot? Functionally necessary, elegantly artistic. And I think that's part of the message for Jeremiah and for Israel. That God wants to do something so wonderful in them that it's going to change their capacity and their creativity. It's, going, it's, it's about who they are and their purpose, but also their beauty and their artistry. And wouldn't, wouldn't that, and you know, we talk about how simple that is for a pot, but wouldn't that be a great finish line description of you or me at the end of a season or the end of a life? Wouldn't that be amazing if someone said that about a person? Like, I think that would be a great line even at a funeral. They were so useful. And they were so beautiful. They, were, they, they knew how to function, but they were artists. Man, they had such capacity, but they were so creative. Imagine they said that about projects or people or even communities or churches. Man, if people looked at our church and said, what, man, this church is so useful in our community, but they're so beautiful, they're so creative. And we think of it as just ordinary, but it would be such a beautiful description And I think it's a description of a life well-lived, useful and beautiful, functional and artistic, a life that matters, a life that produces something, a life that leaves a legacy, a life that contributes to people beyond themselves, a life that has a message all on its own. And I think this idea we get from the pots in Jeremiah 18 is a necessary characteristic for you and me in our life. We often say, well, I'm over here. When I get to this end of the season or end of this life, I would have liked to have lived this way, 
But right now I'm over here. Last week we talked about doing now what we can't do later. And I think one of the ways of getting there and moving in that direction where we can live that kind of life that God has in store for us is this idea of the pot. Being people of capacity and people of creativity. People of capacity and people of creativity. Capacity for what? Well, often, do you ever feel stuck saying like, I just can't work around this relationship. What if you had the capacity, a greater capacity for healthier relationships? Some people say, I just can't get past this issue. What if God wants to work in you the capacity to grow in confession and forgiveness? Sometimes we say, I don't have the capacity to be more productive, and, and yet there's, there's ways that, that we can grow in that, or, or, or the capacity for better decisions, or even the capacity, like we saw financial peace, the capacity to, to balance a budget or to figure out where our money is all being spent and where, how it can be purposeful and used for God's purposes and also for a better kind of life. And maybe that capacity is learning the skill. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe it's personality, emotional health. Maybe it's energy. Definitely it's growing in our faith. But there's this idea that when God works in us, he wants to grow our capacity. But there's also this creative side because when you're stuck, sometimes you need to be creative in working through a problem. You need to be creative in, in, in working through a budget. You need to sometimes be creative in, in discerning the person that you've hurt and saying, how can I reword this apology that lifts them up but also doesn't hide behind the situation? Lord, give me the creativity to reword this, to say this in a way where this relationship can be healed, where this situation can be solved. And I think in our heart, we want to grow in capacity. We want to grow in creativity. We'd love to look back and say, our lives were useful. Our lives were beautiful. But then there's obstacles along the way. Some of them are distractions. Louise mentioned some of that is in worship today. Some of the distractions in our world, some of the distracting messages. Sometimes it's fear. And, the, and, and what we see in the world leaves us with fear. And some of us let CNN or CTV dictate our view of the world. And it's not not to be blinded by that, but Jeremiah allowed God's word to shape him every day and give him a perspective of what was ahead of him. Sometimes it's just like plain laziness. Anybody want to admit that? Nobody want to put their hand? Yeah, you know, only I'll be up there. Like sometimes it's just plain laziness where it's like that's an obstacle towards how God wants to shape me and what he wants to do and how he wants to, to grow me in my relationships and my faith and my life. Eugene Peterson said, said this phrase, and it just jumped out of me. He said, we are practiced in pleading inadequacy in order to avoid living at the best that God calls us to. We are practiced at living, at pleading inadequacy. You know what that means? That's saying, I, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I don't have the skill. I'm pleading I'm inadequate. I'm not adequate enough. I'm not adequate enough for this step. I'm not adequate enough to, 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 to nurture this relationship in a healthy way. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not smart enough to, to figure out how to, how, to, how to fix my budget in a way that honors God and honors my family. I'm, not, I'm pleading inadequacy. And he says we're practiced in pleading inadequacy in order to avoid living at the best that God has for us. And often it's just a front saying, I can't do that. But what we're saying is, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to see that happen. And yet there's so much there for us. 
And here's the heart of it. When we think about these two ideas, capacity and creativity, when we grow in capacity and creativity, we actually grow. We risk. We live. It doesn't mean that we become like everybody else. You know, many of you here have a different capacity than me, and many of you have a greater capacity than me. It doesn't mean that we will have equal capacity or creativity. Man, there's, I'm a pastor. There's other pastors that have different capacities or different kind of creativity than I do, and that's okay. I'm amazed at some of the, the capacities in Westside. When I see some of the things that you guys are doing, I, I realize, wow, that person has capacity. The goal of what we're talking about here is not that God makes us all equal. It's not that I have to be envious or even strive to be capable or creative like another person. It's how has God wired me? Am I living to my capacity and to my sense of creativity? So the point isn't to be like others, but to reach your own kind of life that God has in store for you. Sometimes we're living way below what we're capable of. Sometimes we're living dangerously in the extreme, above what we're capable for. Sometimes we don't honor our capacity in both extremes. Sometimes we stand here and, and we're, God has created us to be capable of so much more, but we don't want to go there. And sometimes we're just messing up with our limits and don't honor them, and we live way beyond what we're capable for, and we're hurting and we're being crushed under it. Eugene Peterson, I mentioned him already, he used to be a pastor. Now he's in his late 80s, and many of you know him by his translation of the scriptures called The Message. But he started off as a pastor, loved people. And his church started to grow in Maryland, uh, down in the States. And as his church started to grow, and they, even bu- they built a building, and, and he noticed that like, the church started to stagnate a little bit a couple of years after the building was built. And he went to his denominational leaders. He said, what, what do you guys think I should do? I mean, I find that like Frank, he doesn't, he doesn't come to church much anymore. And, and so his denominational leader says, build another building, Eugene. What do you mean? He's like, well, we're American. We've got to build something. So build, build, you know, go and do something. And, and he, Eugene Peterson said, I don't think that, that that's God's word for me. <laughs> I think we need to figure out something else. He, he, he drove himself towards the idea that he, he wanted to pastor well. And so at some point, he, he had to start discerning his limits, both what he was capable for, what he was not capable for. And he started this Bible study uh, one day at the church, and it was like in the book of Galatians, one of the New Testament books. And people would come to the Bible study. You know, I mean, 10 or 12 would come, show up, and they said, first couple of weeks, they said, you know what, I'm reading, you're reading Galatians. I just don't get it. I don't get it. And he thought, what can I do? And this, Eugene Peterson is like masterful, art, artful, skillful at biblical languages. He's like, you know what, guys, next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate this first section in, in our language, the lingo we speak in the neighborhood. Would that be helpful? Try it. Next week he comes back and he translates the first passage of Galatians in like the way they speak, you know, where they were. And they loved it. They, they caught the heart of the scripture. They, they were getting something. He's like, this is good. So every week he'd, he'd take right from the original Greek, he'd translate into like the vernacular, the language of, of his town, you know? And he would do this week after week and it was amazing. It wasn't like tons of people, but they were really growing. And all of a sudden he thought, this is really fun. I, I really enjoy this. And he started to translate little bits of it. And then he started to translate the whole New Testament and then the book of Psalms. And then Navpress said, people are loving these translations. Would you do the whole Bible? Well, 12 years later, it took him 12 years, slowly, slowly, a daily routine. Eugene Peterson translated the whole Bible into what's known as the message today. 
that would have never happened if he tried to be capable like somebody else. If he tried to be creative like somebody else. It also wouldn't have happened if he said, I'm not, God, I'm inadequate. Can't do this. But he, he said, no, Lord, if this is something you want me to do. Now, we, that, I can't even fathom that, translating the whole Bible. But when we put ourselves before the Lord and recognize he's shaping us and growing us, something beautiful happens. Here's my question to you. How will you grow in your capacity and your creativity? Don't worry, no one's putting a, a goal, like translate all of the Bible or anything like that. That's not the goal. But how will you grow in your capacity, in your creativity? How will you grow to become useful and beautiful? Well, here, here's some disciplines that, that, um, that Jeremiah used, and I thought it was wonderful. First discipline is Jeremiah we'll say got into the scriptures, but he was listening for God's voice. Like if you caught it at the beginning of of Jeremiah 18, it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. You can read through Jeremiah and most of his mornings, most of his, his the scenes in Jeremiah start that way. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one who took interest in listening for God's voice, in taking God's voice seriously and allowing God's voice to shape his heart and his life. And so he had this pattern of receiving from God's word, of receiving God's word for him. And he never spoke out before he received from God. His whole life was shaped by God's word, not by culture. Tons of stuff were going around the culture around him. He was being pressured from the religious leaders and from the secular leaders. He was being pressured from all kinds of places. But he said, you know what's going to shape my life? God's word's going to shape my life. And God's word started to shape his life and grew his capacity. And I would say he kind of was, maybe he was studious, I'm not sure, but he was definitely passionate about hearing from God. And he was definitely passionate about hearing what God had to say about something, about himself, about the world around him. And here's the thing. We live in a world, in a culture that has cheap information. We have information at our fingertips. They're even telling, sometimes they're telling students today, stop memorizing things because you can just Google it, right? And so, so there's this idea that information is cheap, And news, we get it from all kinds of slants and angles. And there's so many places where we can just, you know, be persuaded or be taught. But there's something different about saying, I'm I'm about choosing what's going to shape my life and my heart and my mind. And Jeremiah chose. He says, I want God to shape my heart. I want God to shape my mind. I want to hear his word, not everybody else's word. And so that was very specific for him. And what does that mean for you and me? That means that at some point in your rhythm, daily or weekly rhythm, you're making a choice and you're saying, I want to hear God's voice above every other voice. That might mean that, that you're, you're the kind of type, like we have a Bible reading plan, you can get it at the, at the Connection Hub today, it's on our website. You can read through the whole Bible in two years or there's a lighter version for, for two years as well, but there's ways that you can just slowly read through the Bible. That might be the best, your best step today to say, God, I want your word to form my life. Maybe you might say, I want the Gospels to shape my life in 2017 and you just keep reading through them. Maybe, maybe your, your next step is saying at least... There's one hour a week, and I don't mean when we get together here on a Sunday. There's one hour a week where I let the scriptures feed my heart and soul. Where I just, I let God speak to me through his word. That is one of the practices that I believe shaped Jeremiah, not in the reading, because he didn't have it in the same way we had it, but for us today, we have God's word right here in front of us. 
Here's the other, here's the other thought. And it's this practice of Sabbath. And you might think, well, how does Sabbath like grow your capacity and creativity? And it's, it's the idea when Jeremiah had this heart for, for people of Israel. In chapter 17, he specifically says to them, listen, guys, the world around you is trying to get your attention. You need to keep the Sabbath holy. That's what he says in chapter 17. In other words, he's saying, you need to pause. You need to stop. You need to, to make, put a stake in the ground and saying, who am I trusting? And when they honored the Sabbath, when they said, I'm not, I'm not going to work because I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take this day and make it holy unto him. What they were doing at that moment, if they did that, is saying, this is who I trust. This is who leads my life. This is who shapes my life. So here's the, here's the idea. A Sabbath is not just a day off, but it's a day or a moment in your week that roots you into God's life that roots you into trusting God more than anything else, that feeds your soul more than anything else feeds your soul, that reminds you that you're not a slave to anyone, but you're God's child. And Sabbath does that to you. Even as we're here this morning, some of you guys have had a crazy week. Some of you guys maybe traveled. Maybe there's issues going on. Maybe there's, there's problems at home. But you've said, you know what? For this time, as we come together, I'm going to put a stake in the ground because I want my life to be in God's hands. That's what we're doing when we're here. We do that publicly together, but we need to also do that privately. And, and I'm telling you, the, the way that that shapes your heart compared to the rest of the world is qualitatively different. And it grows your heart. It grows your capacity. It even grows your creativity, believe it or not. And there's all kinds of even science around the idea that when we stop, something beautiful starts happening in our brains and our heart. Do you ever have an idea when you stop working? That's, this, that's what happens at times when we're rushing, 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 trying to do something, but in the shower we get an idea. It's like, why in the shower do I get an idea? Why when I've completely stopped? There's something that God does in us when we stop and say, God, I know you have this, and trust him. And he starts working in us in ways that we can't even imagine. Let me kind of wrap it up this way if the team wants to come up. Um, I, I gave you some practices, but here, I want to close with some assumptions. And here's, here's this idea, because we are prone to becoming part of the fan clubs in our society. We are. We, 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 we're, we're drawn to the award shows. We're drawn to sometimes celebrity status. We're drawn to sports figures. We're, drawn to, we're, we're prone to becoming part of the fan club. And what happens is we live other people's lives. We don't live our own life. God, God longs us to live a life that he's created for us. And, and here's, here's this beautiful core assumption in this passage, and it's this. There is a potter and there is clay. That, that's the, the main message that God wanted to get across when he said, Jeremiah, would you take a walk over to the potter's house? There is a potter and there is clay. And here's this, here's this thought. God actually cares about how your life turns out. God actually cares about the kind of life you live and the kind of person you become. And the object lesson at the potter's house was this. God wants to mold you. That's what he was telling Israel. Israel, you're you're going off track. Israel, you're distracted. And this object lesson was, Israel, don't you realize that I'm the potter and you're the clay? I want to mold you. I want to shape you. And you're just allowing everybody else to shape you. It's like you've sold yourself to let everybody shape you except me. The idea is God wants to mold you. So he's shaping you and me. And here's the beautiful thing in verse 4. Did you catch verse 4? I think it's, it's up on the screen. 
Uh, maybe not. <laughs> but verse 4 says this. It says, But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Imagine that. They walk down and they see this pot, and the pot was getting shaped, and then it got all messed up. And the potter just squishes it down and says, you know what, let's start over. And that's this beautiful message that God can rework the mess in our lives. God can rework like the detours, the distractions, the failures, the hurts, the wounds, that in God's hands, he's in his sovereignty. This, I love this. In his sovereignty, that he knows all things, he's flexible. What does that mean? It means that God doesn't just say there's point A to B and here's the line to get there. But in his sovereignty, he's flexible and says, you know what? You've, you've been distracted. You've been detoured. You know what? I, I can rework that. I can rework that. I can do something. Something is spoiled. Something has failed. And God wants to rework it in us. That's painful, but it's so worth it. And so the major assumption here is there's a potter. But here's the other part. You guys can start playing if you'd like. We're the clay. What does that mean? Well, that means, obviously, that means, hey, God, you do with us as you wish, right? But it also means, it, it makes me ask this question. What am I offering to God? What kind of clay am I offering to the potter? Am I saying, God, mold me as you wish? Am I offering him hard clay or soft clay? Am I offering him moldable, flexible clay? Or am I saying, you know what, God, um, you can work with me a bit, but just on about 5% of me. The other 95% is all good, okay? Just don't touch the other 95%. Some of us do that. We say, God, I like this part of my life and this part of my life. Just touch this part of my life. I know you're awesome. You can do great things. Just do it with the 10% part of my life, not the other part. And, and we do that to God. But the idea that we're the clay is saying, hey, what kind of clay am I offering God? Am I offering him clay that he will, can work with? Sure, he's God, but it doesn't force himself on us. And I believe that if we want to grow towards the kind of people that will step back at the end of a season or a life and say, this was a life well lived. God, God was active and present. God used me. Then, then I believe in that moment, we need to say, Lord, am I offering everything to you? I saw um, a glimpse, a metaphor of this. I've shared this story before, but it came back to me as I was thinking about today's talk. And it was my dad when um, about three weeks before he passed away he was a musician he loved to play music and everything and so he had this one last moment at the piano we had wheelchaired him up to the piano and and he sat at the he, he was on the wheelchair and he he just played the piano my dad had a gift of being able to play even without the pedals he just had this flow to him and he he went from song to about three songs that really reflected what was in his heart that day and it was the last time we heard him play live in front of us you know and, and I was thinking about that with today's theme and this whole theme this month because here's my dad towards really the end of his life pushed towards a piano and just plays it without even looking and I, I re realized that he could not have just done that that was a life that was at the age of eight being introduced to an organ in a little town in Italy 
That was as a teenager, someone handing him an accordion and saying, hey, Joseph, why don't you use this accordion and learn it? And he learned it and went from town to town to play. That was in his 20s when he, he wanted to grow as a musician and he, he sought after like one of, the, one of the best organ teachers in Canada and paid the money to take lessons. And in his 30s, he learned how to direct a choir and all this kind of stuff. And then he, it all culminates, right? You look, he's there playing the piano beautifully and you realize that didn't just happen. That capacity, that creativity, that didn't just happen. That happened over years. And it wasn't even just that he played piano. He played three specific songs that told us exactly what he was feeling. He played a song called In the Garden. It's a hymn. And he talks about Jesus walking with him and keeping him. He played a song called What a Day That Will Be, talking about heaven. He played uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which reflected his love for Jesus. In that moment, in that brief moment of, of us just listening and watching my dad, we recognized this short moment reflects his whole life, his capacity, his creativity, his faith, his hope, his relationship with God, everything. That doesn't just happen. That happens as daily, weekly, we give our lives to him. Amen? As we close in prayer this, in, in, in worship this morning, the team's going to sing a song that they sang earlier, and we want to close singing with this. And, and here's my invitation to you. As we sing this song, would you consider yourself like clay in God's hands? And really, really come before the Lord. Do some work with God and say, God, have I given you this 20%? Have I given you this 10%? Am I letting you mold me and shape me? Let's, let's do that. I'm going to ask you to stand as we, as we sing this song together. And, and particularly this morning, if you feel like, like you need prayer in any way as we're singing and you feel like either myself or someone else to pray with you, just, I would just encourage you just to come over here on this side of the stage as we're in worship and, and either myself or someone else will stand with you in prayer. If you feel like that's a step you need to make, uh, something you say, Lord, I need you to be at work in my life. I need you to shape me. Even as we worship this morning, let's do that. And then I'll come up and close in prayer. Lead us, guys. Bless your name. God, we come at this moment. We say we surrender to you. We also say, Lord, here we are. Speak to us. Speak into our hearts. Speak into our lives. Speak into our stories. Speak into our decisions. Speak into our wisdom. Speak into our failures and our brokenness. Speak into our detours. God, we want to give you full reign of our lives. Lord, help us not miss this ordinary metaphor of the potter's house for how you want to shape us and work in us. Lord, even now, I'm sure as we've been talking to you and longing, expressing our longing, God, for what we long for you to do in us and through us. Lord, may we be open to fresh insight and fresh words from you. We don't want to just create a life by our own design, but we long for you to. Help us to trust you with our capacity 
And Lord, may we not stand away from seeing our capacity grow. That's how you've wired us. Lord, we long to be people of purpose and use, but also people of beauty and artistry. We long to be people of capacity and people of creativity. We thank you, God, for your heartbeat for Israel, for Jeremiah, for us. And so we say yes to the work of your spirit as the potter in our lives. God, as some of us step into a new rhythm this week of allowing your scripture to speak into us, a new rhythm daily or weekly of letting your word captivate our hearts. Lord, as we put a stake in the ground for Sabbath, for us coming together as a community, but also taking apart a chunk of our week where we can just be still with you, where we can put our trust in you, where we don't feel the need to produce, but trust that you are our God and our King. Lord, as we step into to rhythms like that, God, we pray for your blessing. Lord, in Christ's name we pray today. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful week.